We want to read the scriptures this morning. Our Old Testament text is found in Psalm 91, the first four verses. We have pew Bibles in the pew. If you need them, uh, you should note the numbers are different than the pew Bibles in the old church in that the New Testament begins with page one again. So uh, you have to make sure you're in the right testament as you look for these page numbers. So this is the Old Testament, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4. Listen here to the Word of God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Amen. Our epistle reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5. That's in the New Testament. We'll be reading verses 6 through 11. Really some good instruction here from Peter, from God's word, for all of us, each of us. So listen here to God's word. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And amen. And our primary text is from Acts chapter 20. We'll read verses 32 through 38. This is the conclusion of Paul's exhortation and words to the Ephesian elders as he's gathered them together. We've been almost a month working our way through this. Uh, he ends in a very good way. So listen here to God's word. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, 
it's good to worship you, to be in your presence. Lord, we, we come here in holy attire, recognizing who you are. In our limited way, we know that we've seen a mirror dimly, but we look forward to the day when we'll see face to face. Lord God, come and minister to us that which is life indeed. Help us hear your word. Help our hearts be tender, our minds open, and taught of you. We ask this through Christ, our Savior and the Lord of all. Amen. Have you heard the news? The Zika virus is loose and spreading. If you were up early yesterday morning and heard President Obama's radio message, you're aware that global warming threatens us with global catastrophe soon. Economists say our multi-trillion dollar debt and other things that are in place here and around the world mean that soon there will be just economic chaos and all will fall down, the big bubble will burst. Terrorists are proliferating everywhere. Every week it seems like there's someone who gets killed or some event that happens. Terrorists are everywhere. And we know they have this pulse bomb that eventually is going to come over here. And then you look around and all morality is shot. There is no morality. Decadence rules the day. And so, why have children? No future, no good future for them anyway. You know, the two biggest reasons for voluntary childlessness, number one, kids will impinge on what I want to do. And they will, <laughs> just so you know, if you're wondering. Kids will change my lifestyle. Angela's smiling. They do change it. It's all right. Number two is no hope. No hope. Who would bring a child into this world with all the things we've just mentioned? Hopelessness abounds where we are. Therefore, we're seeing carried out before our eyes the old biblical notion that's, carried, that's mentioned in, in, in Ecclesiastes. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What reason have we? To live otherwise. Now you're saying, I didn't read any of that in the, hear any of that in the scriptures that you read this morning. <laughs> Where'd you get that from, John? Well, it's this, this way. The Apostle Paul was a man with vision. Now, if you've been here the last several weeks, we laid out to you what he had said. We read what he had said, and he laid out a pretty bleak picture for the Ephesian elders. He says, you know, bonds and affliction await me. That's what I, I hear everywhere. And as far as my coming back to you, you'll see my face no more. Well, now, this was a guy who was the rock of stability for the church. And you'll see me no more? My goodness. He's the one who told them that savage wolves are going to come in and tear apart the flock. He meant a couple of things. Persecution from the secular authorities will come here. Now, they had experienced some of that, but it's going to increase and get worse, he says. 
and also you'll formally and finally be rejected by the Jewish authorities, those who you look back to. They'll say, no, you guys are wrong, you're out of here. Savage wolves will come in trying to overthrow your faith. He says, in fact, from your own selves, men will arise who are perverse and, and teach perverse things and guide people off after their own ways. We mentioned this last week, that he named names. Eventually, with, this has happened to this person in the letters to the pastoral epistles. You'll, you'll find those. Uh, but, despite that bleak picture, he ends this, I think, in a very, very good way. He says, therefore, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. to qualify you to share in the inheritance among all the saints. So I would suggest this morning that when Paul commends them to God and to the word of his grace, he does so with the utmost realism. Now, the way I started off this morning with this, this introduction thing, with all these different afflictions and perils that are abounding in the world, that's realism. To some degree, some of those things are very real. I'm a doubter with regard to global warming, just so you know. Other ones, you know, there's bad things happening. Uh, but realism that looks only at the real world is not realistic. It leaves out God. We don't live in a completely material or only material world. If we forget the creator, the ruler, we miss what's essential. You know, the Bible is a very realistic book. And I went through and there's maybe 20, 25 of these but God sayings where it lays out here's the way things are, but God. says all these things, but God knows and examines your heart. Christ was crucified by the preordained plan of God, but God raised him from the dead, but God did something. But God demonstrates his love for you, though born sinners, by nature sinners, but God demonstrates his love and intervenes. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world. He did. But God, who comforts those who are downcast. There's more and more like that. Yes, we must look with realism, but not just at realism. We not, must not forget God and the word of his grace. What is God able to do? Build you up. Now, the word that's used there is the same word where the Greek word for house. That is to bring order. He can give order to your life, bring stability to your life and bring usefulness to your life. He's able to build you up and help you stand in, in all the, the midst of all these things. God's able to do that. But it is a task, not a poof, once and done thing. It's an ongoing work of God building us up. Plus, he's able to give us an inheritance among the sanctified. Now, we should note that 
among the sanctified. This is not a lone ranger Christianity. This is what he has for his church, for his people. Among them, there's an inheritance which we will share in. What that is called is called heaven. That's where the inheritance lies. You do not get the inheritance here. Now, you get a down payment, you get some assurance, but you don't get it now. Heaven, the final inheritance, is where everything is right, just as it should be. There's all joy there. There's no more tears. <clears throat> no tears at all. <clears throat> Have you shed any tears this week? Recently, has your heart been bitter? Hurt? No more tears at all. Truth is triumphant. No more arguing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Good discussions. No more arguing. Hear that, Steve? Where's Steve? There's somewhere out here. There he is. Yeah. No more arguing. Evil is vanquished and banished. Gone. Infirmities are healed. Carol, Crohn's disease is gone. Hallelujah. I can say my poor back was aching this week. We're moving some things around. Poor backs are gone. Brian, walking. True koinonia is experienced. That is, fellowship with one another, with God. It's well done. That's the inheritance, among the inheritance, that we wait for. It's good. Now, Paul's life was an example, he says, of what that might look like. Paul was not content with just stuff here, with this material, these material sorts of things. He had no earthbound eyes. He had eyes that were raised up and looking to the reward, looking what's there. Not, not closing off down here, but this was not all there was. The more important part was yet to come. So he says, you know, I didn't covet anyone's silver or gold or clothes. If I simply had eyes that look here, we could covet all kinds of things that people have. But that's not where, where we should be. In fact, he goes on to say that we need to work so I worked and I provided with my own hands for myself, for those with me. He says we should work so we can help others. What it says. And he quotes the Lord Jesus, a saying that's not in the Gospels, but was circulating around and people knew about. Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul has a true vision for himself, for them, and for the world. So what does it look like to go forward in this? 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, I think, tells us very well. First thing is, is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The Lord reigns. That's what that means. God reigns. Don't believe that, that this powers that be here reign or that circumstances in your life reign. The Lord reigns. Remember, reflect on Live by that. Verse 10 that you're going to memorize this week, the Lord willing, from Psalm 96. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established, will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. That's that he, he will judge the peoples with equity. That points to heaven. 
Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God means that you know that he knows what's right and he will see to it that all is set right in due time. It says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why should you do that? Wonderful phrase, wonderful truth, because he cares for you. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? He cares for you. You need to know that. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. You need to. He cares for you. How do you cast your anxieties on him? I do it by worrying somewhat. Don't you ever worry? Get convicted. I get, I, I get worried. But then we pray. Psalm 91, 1 through 4 that we read is a, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord my refuge and my portion. He's the one who delivers me from the snare of the trapper, from deadly pestilence. He puts his wings over us. We may seek shelter under his pinions. His, his faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. So run to God. Let him know. Describe to him how bad the situation is. Nothing wrong with that. Read the Psalms. The psalmists, David and the others who wrote the Psalms, man, they were regularly pouring their heart out before God saying, look at all these things. So they didn't just fixate on them and, and roll around and, and worry about them. They lifted it up to God. Cast your care upon him. Then it says, be of a sober spirit, alert, because the devil, now in a materialist world you don't have this, but in the real world you do, <laughs> the devil prowls about looking for whom he may devour. That's a reality. The devil's goal is to destroy, kill the work of God. We are his workmanship, right? We memorized this a few years ago. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The devil's out to kill and destroy and get rid of all that, of us and the works that God's done in our lives. And so the devil will tell you, first of all, there's again two primary ways he attacks us. One, there really is no God. Are you, are you one of those foolish people who actually believes there's a God? That, I mean, this, this, this spiritual being who knows what's going on here? Do you believe that? Oh, come on. That's for ages past. But if you really do, if there really is a God, well, then we know that he's not good and that you should not trust him. Look at the world around you. Look what's happened to people. That's the very thing that the devil did with Job. Took all those things away and said, curse God and die. That's what you should do. Now I'd like to read an example here of something that happened just within the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> there was a young couple named Jameson and Catherine Powles, uh, 29 years old, three children, I think a three-year-old, a 20-month, 24-month-old, and a four- or five-month-old. And they, from Minnesota, 
had been training and felt called to missionary work were getting ready to go over to Japan. And they were on their way a couple of weeks ago from Minneapolis to Denver, where World Venture is for their final training. And then by October, they would be set in Japan, ready to minister. Here's a little news clipping. Jameson and Catherine Powell's and their small children were driving from Minneapolis to Colorado for final preparations as missionaries to Japan. They planned to leave in October. But in an interstate <clears throat> construction zone in western Nebraska, a semi-truck rear-entered the family's vehicle. Tragically, the entire family died at the scene. And things, who they were, and their ages and stuff. It says, the 53-year-old trucker was arrested and charged with five counts of felony motor vehicle homicide. Is there a God? Would God allow that to happen to people who are consecrated, set apart, preparing to do His will with missionary service in Japan? Now, they were members <coughs> of Bethlehem Baptist Church out in St. Paul, Minneapolis, which is the church made famous through the ministry of John Piper, who says that, you know, he's a Christian hedonist. We should be, our God is most fully glorified when we're most satisfied in him. Well, now, how does a congregation, how does a congregation be satisfied in God when among the best and brightest of them are on their way to serve God and they get killed, they die in a tragic accident on the interstate? I think that's a challenge, don't you? Uh, I'm going to read to you part of John Piper's prayer at the funeral service for this family. And I think the prayer itself models for us how to resist the devil who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy us. Here's how Piper prayed, part of it, I won't read it all, but some of it, a good bit of it I'll read. O Lord God of might and mercy and mystery, you have driven the arrows of your quiver into the breast of your people, your beloved. You have filled our throat with bitterness and gall. You have made our teeth grind on gravel and laid us down with wounds in the ashes of dreams. All those images come from the Psalms. People prayed like this before God. God, this is what's happened. They're realistic about it. You have taken away our sleep and replaced our gladness with groaning. You have covered us with the shadows of those we love, and we have reached out in vain to touch their bodies. Happiness has left through the window where the rain pours in. Peace has put her hand on the latch, and endurance wavers at the threshold of our soul. A voice is heard like Rachel's lamentation and bitter weeping. Where is the comfort for her children? Because they are no more. You have spared us, us who have lived out our days through no merit of our own, who would happily have finished our course and taken their place. But you have not spared the children, the three little kids, or the valiant young lovers, the couple, and your most loyal servants. Oh, Lord, our eyes are on you. We do not look to another for hope. To you alone, to you we cry. Remember our affliction. Remember the bitter wormwood and the gall. You have not made us drink this cup in vain. This we call to mind, and therefore we have hope. Your steadfast love, O Lord, never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You alone, O Lord, are our portion. Therefore, we will hope in you. You are good to those who wait for you, to the soul who seeks you. You are good today. You were good the day they, were, they died. We are waiting. We are looking for the salvation of the Lord. We are not running from the yoke of this dark providence or throwing off the burden of your good sovereignty. But we are waiting and looking for the yoke to be made easy and the burden light. You do not hide yourself forever. Though you cause grief, you will have compassion according to the abundance of your steadfast love, for you do not afflict from your heart or grieve the children of men. We stand on this mighty rock of Christ and his shed blood for our sins and for the sins of the Powell's family and on his victorious triumph over death. And we stand on this rock and we pray. We pray, Father, for Tony Weekly, the driver of the truck. They, they prayed for the family and different ones. It says, we pray for Tony Weekly, whose head is covered with shame and whose hands are stained with blood. The heart of this family is not a vengeful heart. We pray that Mr. Weekly will find the one and only remedy for shame and guilt, Jesus. And we ask that in time, through Christ, he would make his way to heaven and know the indescribable miracle of reconciliation with those already there. And finally, we pray for Japan, that the great idols of gold and silver and material success would fall before the blood of this family, that these five, even these three little ones, who have now grown to the fullness of their glory and the perfection of beauty, not through the trials of three score and ten, but in the twinkling of an eye, that these all, all five, might be found among the champions of the victory of the gospel in Japan. In the name of Jesus and for his glory, amen. I think that's a prayer that resists the devil. It doesn't have a false veneer that makes light of what's happened. It doesn't try and hide the grief and pain and tragedy of the heart, but it goes to God. It calls out to him. It says, oh, Lord, help us. And it prays for the others as well. They're the truck driver, I mean, you wouldn't want to be that fellow. Just would not want to be him. Praise for him. Peter says in the passage we read, as you go through these things, know that these things, these same sufferings are happening among all your brethren around the world. The Powell's family, and with their suffering, other believers have similar sorts of circumstances. God in his own providential care has said, this is what is best here, what I intend to work for. Now the outcome, Peter says, is that God himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. He is able. That's the title of the sermon today. He is able. He's able to take us through all ups and downs of life, the great things, the low things. He is able to bring us through. That's why Paul commends the Ephesian elders to God and to the word of his grace. Because the truth is, here we have no lasting city. All of this life is tinged with the results of the fall. Yes, there are celebrations, there's happiness. We had an Olympic party at our daughter's yesterday. We had a son-in-law, it was wonderful. We had a great time. We laughed and we did all the stuff. We lamented when Great Britain beat the USA in field hockey. Boo. 
you know, we did all that. So we're not saying there's not happy times and good times. Nothing wrong with that. It's all right and good. But God has more for us than what we have right here. If we think, or if we hope only in this life, then Paul says, we're of all men most to be pitied. God has more for us. This life points to life eternal. So let's live here faithfully, but have our eyes and hearts fixed above where Christ is. Triumphant, King of kings, Lord of lords, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He is able for you. Amen.